Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. 2 Samuel 22 is where we are. We didn't do a scripture reading today, but what I want you to do is, if you don't have a Bible, get a black pew Bible in front of you. And look, all right, look at me, look at me. If you don't have a Bible, get the Black Pew Bible in front of you, okay? Because we didn't read the scripture, and what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to kind of hit the high points today of this uh, incredible psalm. I'm I'm just going to hit the high points, and what what I'll tell the guys on Tuesday morning, I meet with our small group leaders every Tuesday morning at 5.30, and we talk about the sermon and go over things in in preparation for small group time the next Sunday, and sometimes I say, I left you a lot of meat on the bones. Well, you'll have a lot of meat on the bones uh, next Sunday night, because I'm just going to hit the high points um, here, but we're getting back to this uh, series in 1 and 2 Samuel, A Need for a King. Page 322 in the Black Pew Bible. And what we're going to do is um, we're going to read some of this. I was in Jackson just a couple weeks ago. It's our girls, their last basketball game. And um, I was there. I keep the book for the coach, for, the, for, the, for my kid's coach, and, um, who's Jenny, my wife. And uh, so I keep the books, and I'm over there going, all right, baby, you need to call a timeout here. you got to call a timeout. She's got four fouls. you got to get her out of the game. So I do some of that, too. I help, I'm her helpmate in that regard. But I keep the books for her, and we have a great time. It's, it, we had a fun season. But it was last game. We're in Jackson, and I go in, and I'm doing the book, and I'm over there. I'm just kind of introducing myself because that's what I do and um, finding people that maybe I need to introduce myself to and uh, met the, the boys' coach of the other team and introduced myself to him. And his wife coached the, the girls' team, and so we were just talking about life in Jackson and whatnot and um, told him, yeah, I was in Jackson for, for several years. And he said, oh, did you go to Union? I said, yeah, I did. I went to Union University. And he asked me when I was there. I was, I was there. I left in 95, and he got there in, like, 96. And so we missed each other by a year. But I told him where we were from, and he says, hey, he says, do you know Brian Jerry?" And I said, yeah, talked to him yesterday. And Brian Jerry, if some of you know him, he, he went to Faith Baptist Church. And um, he wasn't in our youth group, of course, but we did a lot of things together. And he was at my house a lot, and we spent a lot of time together and um, did a lot of ministry when he got out of, in, in college and a lot of ministry together. So he's dear to my heart. In fact, I have a, a quote, a Brian Jerry quote on the wall in my office, if you go in there and look. But... Great man of God. He's a pastor now, a, a church in Mesa, Arizona, uh, and just doing great with his family there. But anyway, we we're talking about Brian, and he, when, I, when I said, yeah, I talked to him yesterday, this guy's eyes, man, he just lit up. And he just, he just went into this diatribe about uh, Brian and his influence on his life. When he came to Union, this basketball coach was just a new baby Christian, and he just had story after story after story of incidences and, and circumstances that came up and how Brian was able to be used in his life 
speaking in his life, discipling him, encouraging him, rebuking him, helping him. And uh, the, the game, we had to start the game or we, he would have probably got carried away, but he was so, so excited that I knew this man and he was just um, sharing with me how, how uh, much a blessing Brian had been in his life. Well, I tell you that story because David is doing the same thing here in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel. If you remember the context, let me just kind of back up. Some of you haven't been with us the whole trip, but, but bear with me here. Let me tell you the context. David is king of Israel. He survived a coup attempt by his own son, Absalom. He's gotten through a famine that was a result of the sin of the previous king, Saul. Um, and he's in battle with his mighty men. And these men, are, they're not just, they're Rambo-type figures without the foul language. I mean, they're Rambo-type figures. They are incredible warriors on the battlefield. And he, they're in battle, and David gets weary. And there's one descendant of Goliath. One of the giants was going to take, wanted to take David's life. But he was saved by one of his mighty men. These are the men that, that David had raised up and empowered to do the work that he had been doing. So they didn't think it was a good idea for David to go back into battle. So David has retired, not from leading the nation, but from leading the nation into battle. If you think about it, everyone wants to go out on top, right? You win the Super Bowl, that's when you want to go out. You want to retire and walk off uh, the stage, so to speak. And David does that. He retires as commander of the army, and he never lost a battle. And so what David does is he sings a song. And so that's what he's doing here. And this, if you read this song in 2 Samuel 22, and then you read Psalm 18, they're almost identical because it's the same song. It's just been edited to some degree uh, here in 2 Samuel. Not sure when it was written, probably later in David's life. But the author of this book, 2 Samuel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put this psalm here. We need to be thinking about why. I think it's just falling in place. David retires from being the general. He's never lost in battle, and he sings this psalm. So let's look at the text. I'm going to read. We didn't do a scripture reading because I just wanted to read this for you. We're not going to read all the psalm. We're going to read some of it. And like I said, I'm going to leave a lot, and you're going to be like, why didn't you talk about that? Well, we just don't have enough time today, but you can read that. If you have questions, send me a text. Ask your small group leader um, or send me a, a text, and I'll be happy to talk to you about that. But what, what I do, if you mark in your Bible, some people that's sacrilegious, they don't do that. I mark mine up like crazy. Um, but if you want to mark in your Bibles, I would encourage you to either notice or mark in your Bibles the descriptions of God in these first eight verses. Okay? Pay attention to these first eight verses, the descriptions of God, and then also the pronouns used. Okay? Particularly the pronoun my. Okay? So the first, the first point, I guess you could say, of this, of this sermon is notice who God is. Okay? Notice the descriptions here. All right, let's read it. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. See all those descriptions and those pronouns? My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. 
For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From His temple He heard my voice, and my cry came to His ears. Notice the description of the Lord here. What are some things that you, some descriptions of the Lord? What is He called? David calls Him His rock, right? His fortress and my deliverer. That's why we sing that great hymn, Mighty Fortress is Our God. I love that song. I love that bridge too, the, the bridge there. That, I love that, that, that song. The rock, the fortress. Stronghold. This is a depiction of one who's strong, one who's stable, right? Who doesn't change. He is dependable. I showed the pictures of my parents, and that's one of the things I was sharing with them last night, how thankful I was to the Lord for them in my life because they've been together all these years, and they've been so dependable. It's been, in my life, like a rock. And I think even as we, I moved to Louisville and to go to graduate school, my parents would come up. Even after I got married, they would come up. To see me, you know, maybe like once a month or, or whatever, on a, one one weekend a month they would come up, and then we went to Jenny and I went to China and we were there for 10, 10 years, eleven years almost, and my parents were there seven eight times, uh, almost every Christmas they would come and spend four or five six weeks depending on how much vacation they have, they would come and and spend with us and. And then when we decided to live here, one of the great draws was it is my wife. She wanted to live here because my parents lived here. Because beavers here and my parents live here. Because what do they do? They just provide that stability in our lives. They give us so much help. They're dependable. And they've been through thick and thin. They're here and they're there for us. And it's provided stability in my life. Now, that's just a little kind of picture, if you will. But think about God, how He is our rock. He is our fortress, our stronghold. He is dependable. He doesn't change. He doesn't have mood swings. Right? He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't change. He's there for us. And David said, He is my rock. He is my fortress. My stronghold. Makes our life stable. And then he says, He's a refuge. The horn of my salvation. He's my Savior. I mean, he's the answer for the one who needs to be rescued, right? And David needed to be rescued time and time and time again, right? God is David's helper. I think all of these descriptions here point towards that. If you read the entire psalm, God is David's helper. He comes to one in need. Now think about, think about how he's been David's helper during his life, but think about from the beginning of redemptive history how God has been a helper to His people. Think about Adam and Eve after the fall, after their rebellion, they rebelled against the Lord. They didn't do what God told them to do, what God wanted them to do. They did what they wanted to do, right? And they failed and they were naked and they were ashamed, right, for the first time. What does God do? He meets a need in their life. He provides them with clothing, right? With those animal skins. Think about when God heard the cries of the Israelites in bondage in Egypt. They cried out to the Lord. They were in bondage 400 years. They cried out to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He raised up Moses and He delivers them from the hand of Pharaoh. What about Numbers chapter 21? They 
grumble and they rebel against the Lord, grumble about Moses being their leader. And God allowed the fiery serpents to come among them and attack them. And Moses cries out to the Lord, and what does the Lord do? He takes away those serpents and allows him to make this, this bronze statue, bronze uh, a scepter, if you will, with, with um, an escape for the people that were bitten. Think about the Israelites when they went to the Promised Land. They didn't drive out completely those that lived there, the Canaanites and the pagan peoples. And so what happened over time? They ensnared the Israelites and they began to oppress them over time. And what did the Israelites do? They began to cry out to the Lord and God did what? He raised up judges to deliver them. So we see that throughout redemptive history. But did you see the pronouns? That first person pronoun, my, you've seen it used in those first few verses uh, ten times. David knew this God. This is his personal experience. He had this intimate relationship with God. It just wasn't stories he had heard. But this is, this is who God was to David. He was his personal helper, his personal deliverer, his personal savior, his rock who he could depend on personally. Let me ask you, can you say that? As we sing these wonderful true songs, a mighty fortress is our God, can you say that He is a fortress for you today? He is my fortress. He is my Savior. Can you say that today? Is it personal for you? So we see who God is here. And secondly, our second point is notice what God has done, starting there in verse 8. Let's read a little bit of this. Read along with me. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of brightness before him coals of fire flamed forth. The thunder... The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice. And He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundation of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of His nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David, it's, it's, we read this psalm, and it is, we, we went through the psalms, uh, many of the psalms, when, when Adam, Greg was still here, and we preached through many of the psalms, and it's poetic language. And you have to ask yourself, why is he using this poetic language here? He just came from, he's telling God is my rock, he's my fortress, he's my foundation, he's who I can depend on. And all of a sudden he uses this poetic language. Why is that? I think it's because God is passionately pursuing and protecting David. He's passionate uh, about that. I was thinking about that on my in the long ride to, to Lafayette, Indiana. And I got to think about a mama bear. And I, I've been to the eastern part of the uh, state and, and seen bear there at Cades Cove and whatnot. We love that area, the 
stay. We love doing that. Chris Wilkes is actually a bear hunter. If you want to know about that, you ask him. He is he is he has gone bear hunting. He can tell you all about that. But what's a mama bear? You know, you hear these stories of, and you 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 can see how it happens because you go to Cades Cove, and people are there because everybody wants to go wherever the bears are. You know, you you go through there and you you take the. 18.5 mile hike to this beautiful waterfall, right? That you end up on the way back carrying two of your kids back on the back because they hurt their foot or whatever. You go to these wonderful waterfalls, but what you want to see is the bear. And that's what I want to see. And so everybody, you end up finding the bear and that's where all the cars are. And they're pulled off on this one lane road, right? Off the side and, and people get out of their cars. And then what do they do? What do they do? You've seen it, haven't you? Yeah, but they, don't, they take pictures from their car no, they're not people. We're not that smart, right? What do they do? No, they get out of the car because they want to go see the bear kind of close, like. But these aren't bears. It's not a zoo, right? It's not a zoo here. But that's what they do, and that's what happens when you hear about these bear attacks. Is people are getting too close to usually a mama bear with those cubs. Now, when they have this attack, when it's happening, it happens from time to time. And I just, because I've seen it several times, right? I, in my mind, I'm just, I play it through my mind. I'm seeing how that could have occurred. But what happens? If you had to describe the mama bear attacking the, the idiot, the token idiot with the camera, right? What would that look like? What would that, what, how would you describe that? You would say, well, you know, the mama bear kind of eased over towards the man and gently slapped him across the face with his claws. He wouldn't be like that, no, would it? It'd be, no, the mama bear rushed after the man who was threatening his cubs, and he, she took her paw, and she ripped open the man's stomach with his one fell swoop of the claws. You know, you can just see how that happened. You would describe that that way. But why would you describe it that way? Because that mama bear was passionate about protecting her cubs. And you use that kind of language because he's going after the man with this, this trying to harm the cubs. And so you'd use this, this language. And so that's what's happening here, this poetic language. Talking about God coming to his rescue. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. We see this description of the Lord because God is really passionate about pursuing David and protecting David. Verse 17 through 20, God rescues David and gives him victory against his enemies. And you think about it, David had a lot of enemies. I mean, poor guy. He gets anointed. He didn't ask for the job. It wasn't like he was, you know, he wanted to be king and they, you know, had this nomination process and election. No, he was chosen by the Lord, set apart, right? Anointed by Samuel, anointed by God to be the king. And ever since that happened, he had enemy after enemy. I mean, think about it. Goliath. Think about Saul. The Philistines. The Ammonites. The northern tribes of the Assyrians. The Edomites. The Moabites. The Amalekites. Nabal. You remember Nabal the idiot? Remember him? Absalom, his own son. Remember Sheba? who slung rocks and cussed him, talked to him like a dog. Adonijah, Shimei, remember him? And a host of others. You see these enemies of David. And you remember why David was victorious? 
Is it because he was a he was incredible with this with a, a slingshot? Was it because he was incredible general? He had a lot of sense and wisdom when it comes to battle formations. No. Why was he why was he victorious in every battle? Because God was with him, yet God was on his side, right? God was for him. God had made a covenant with David that he would have a descendant on the throne forever and ever and ever, and so God is doing a work to make that happen. Look at verse 21 through 25. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were for me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord was reward, has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. And in those few verses we see the, the word righteousness repeated. And we read this, why has the Lord delivered him? He talks about his righteousness. And at first glance, we would, we would agree, especially if you read the first, the first book, 1 Samuel, you would agree that David was righteous. I mean, he did almost everything right in the first part of his life. I mean, up to Bathsheba, the man was golden. He honored the Lord and he did, made right decisions. I mean, think about he trusted God when Goliath was making his speeches, right, in the hill adjacent to the Israelite army. David trusted God when no one else did. And he took up those five stones and he went to battle. But then we had this song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And his relationship with Saul went south. And he had an opportunity two times to kill Saul who was trying to take his life. But he didn't, did he? He could have. And Saul himself even testified to David's righteousness. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 17, he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you for evil. Saul was out to get him. David did nothing but good things for Saul, helping Saul, helping Saul. And Saul's out to take his life because he's jealous. But he recognizes that, right? He's in the cave, and David's in the back of the cave, and David leaves the cave, and he says, Hey, here's a piece of your robe. Look, Saul looks down. Oh, Wow, how'd you get that? I could have taken your life, but I didn't. Why are you pursuing me? I've done nothing but good to you. And what does Saul say is, you're right. You're more righteous than I am. So David calls himself a righteous person. And we see that in, in Scripture. And we know the Lord blesses obedience, don't we? That's what the law teaches us. David was by and large obedient to the Lord. We think about other people are, are described as righteous who else in the Scriptures are described in the Old Testament described as righteous? You think about Job. Job was righteous. But Noah, right? Noah, he was a righteous man. So we see others that are called righteous. But as we read this, these verses, verse 21 through 25, it, it doesn't sit well with us or it doesn't sit well with me because the black eye on David's resume is what? Is Bathsheba, right? Yes, yeah, Bathsheba, and he had committed this heinous crime, rebelled against the Lord, 
sinned against Bathsheba, sinned against Uriah, that task should not, he should not be rewarded for, right? I mean, how could David really say this if he says, from your statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him. I mean, it's almost like, can you really say that with a straight face? I mean, really? Can you really say that, David? And some people say, well, maybe this, was, this, was, this psalm was written before the Bathsheba incident. Maybe so. I don't think so. But I think the key to understanding this is what appears in, uh, you know, in this apparent contradiction is in verses 26 through 31. Let's read that real quickly, and I'll make some comments about it. Because if you're reading this, it, kinda, it doesn't sit well with us, and it shouldn't. Because you're, you're thinking, yeah, David is a man after God's own heart, and he is, loves the Lord, and he obeys the Lord in so many ways. But yet... We see this other thing, and you think, well, how can he be considered righteous? Look at verse 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. In other words, you could say you reap what you sow. But look at verse 28. But you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. And we know that to be true, right? He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So what's the key to understanding this This what seems like maybe a contradiction or something that may not be true. And David, he says, I am righteous, I am blameless, I've kept your laws. But yet he has this incident with Bathsheba. I think maybe we say, well, he was righteous in many ways, right? He was godly. And when he was rebuked, how did he respond? Yeah, Nathan, Nathan rebukes him and he repents. We're going to read part of that response in Psalm 51 in just a moment. But then verse 26, 27, 28, we see that God saves the humble. I think the key to understanding this whole thing is how could he call himself righteous when he sinned with Bathsheba and the issue with Uriah? I think it's David sinned, but then he humbled himself before the Lord. Was it his own righteousness that he boasted of? I don't think so. I think he boasted in God's imputed righteousness to him. And we see this elsewhere in Scripture. Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, we know that he believed the Lord when the Lord gave him some things to trust him in. And he counted it to him as righteousness, right? There's that imputed righteousness, an alien righteousness. It's not a righteousness of his own. It's imputed to him. It's positional righteousness is another name for it. This righteousness, that's God, it's God's and he gives to us and imputes to us. Also Matthew 5, 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So... Think about the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They were pretty self-righteous, weren't they? They depended on their own merit to attain a relationship to God, right? And Paul even said in Philippians 3, he talked about his, 
his own righteousness, his own credentials. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's telling about why he's such a good Pharisee, right? A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Remember, students, we read that this morning in, in Acts chapter 9. As to righteousness under the law, how does he describe himself? How does Paul describe himself? As a Pharisee, he says, I was blameless. In other words, outwardly, I checked off all the boxes. Cross the T, dot the I, I'm keeping all these rules. God's rules and, and the rules we set up on top of that to ensure that we keep the law. I'm keeping all of them. Look at my life. Here I am doing all things rightly for the Lord. But the righteousness of the Pharisee was one of, it was outward only, right? But their hearts were oftentimes far from God. Let's look real quickly at Psalm 51. Turn there in the middle of your Bible. Just kind of split your Bible in half. Psalm, Psalm 51. We'll read a few verses real quickly. We're about to wrap it up. Psalm 51. This is David after he was rebuked by Nathan. Psalm 51, page 560 in the Black Pew Bible. I'm going to read it real quickly. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth. You delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And he goes on to say, cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and behold me with a willing spirit. But this is a real humble fella after he's rebuked by Nathan, and he yields himself to the Lord and humbles himself before the Lord. When David says he's righteous, I think by and large he lived a righteous life. He loved the Lord. His overall, uh, overall, his life could be characterized by a life of obedience and, and righteousness. But yet, he was a sinner. He was flawed. But the posture of his heart is one of surrender and humility and also one of praise. And that's our last point. Notice David's response. He's talking about God and how, who he is and how he's been a, a rock and he's been a deliverer, and he's come to his rescue time and time and time again. And lastly, look at 2 Samuel 50, 22, verse 50 and 51, real quickly. Well, let's start, start in verse 47. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock. Again, you see that imagery there, characteristic of God, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought me down and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out of my enemies and exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the men of violence. And notice his response. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king. Remember that covenant God had made in 2 Samuel 7? He's God's king. He's the anointed. 
great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. When you think about David and, and who he was, you think about him being king. And, and many of you, you think about him being a warrior because you can't get over, right? That fight with Goliath and all these battles that he won. He's, he's a warrior, but maybe he should best be known as a worshiper. Think about all the Psalms that he had written on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's a worshiper. How does he respond? He responds to God for who he is and what he's done for David. David responds by praise, praising the Lord. And so we, we close just by way of application. You might say, well, He's a, he's a worshiper. He's a singer. He's singing. This is we're singing these songs to the Lord. David writes these songs and sings them to the Lord. And here, again, we see David singing to the Lord in worship. And you might be thinking, you don't have much to sing about today. Maybe your circumstances might be difficult right now in this present season in your life. Some of you are going through difficult times. And I think about Acts 16. Paul and Silas, the Philippian jail. They were having really difficult days, right? They had been beaten and falsely accused and imprisoned for something they didn't do. And about midnight, what were they doing? You remember that story? They praised the Lord, didn't they? They worshiped. They told the Lord how good He was because of who He is and what He had done for them. Your circumstances might be difficult, but if you're a born-again believer and you have your sin debt paid, if you're redeemed and you've been given the Holy Spirit not only to help you, but sealing you, guarantee your inheritance, for all eternity you'll spend worshiping and praising our Lord. But if you you've once were so far from God because of your rebellion towards Him, you've been brought near because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you have something to sing about. So sing praise to Him. I want to show you a video... This is a video of Grady and Georgia Kate. This was sent to me a week or so ago, and I thought it was just really, really sweet. And let me set it up for you. Um, it snowed, and um, Grady had never seen snow before. How's, how's Grady? Three, never seen snow before, didn't know what it was. It just kinda, he was just kind of, what, what is that? And so he asked, what is that? And they're like, it's snow. Uh, and then he's going to ask. Well, let's let's watch it, and, I, and you won't be able to understand snow it, but I'll help you. Wow! How did it come? How did it come? Who do it? God. He's saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, who did it? Who did it? Jordy Kate says, God did it, right? And he's just, God did it. God did it. God did it. And he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And just sweet from an innocent little child, you know? Just sweet, sweet, sweet. Got that. And I thought, how awesome. But think about his response. And for many of us, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, shouldn't that be our response? We go through difficult days. We have struggles in life. Marriage struggles, kids struggles, money struggles, struggle struggles. Struggles come and struggles go, right? It's the way life 
happens. We have difficulty. But for those of us who are born again, those of us who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those of us who've had our sin debt paid and who've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought it to the kingdom of His Son, don't we have something to praise Him about? David did. This is who you are. This is what you've done for me. And what's his, what's his response? Praise. So shouldn't we be a people of praise? We have a lot to praise the Lord for. God did it. God did it. God did it. That should be our response to Him who's done so much for us. If you're not a believer today, just by way of application, I would encourage you to read through this psalm. And as you read through the psalm, we didn't have time to go through all of this. It's lengthy. But you'll see that God is righteous. And what does He do to the enemies of the Old Testament Messiah, the Old Testament Messiah being the, the king, the anointed one, David? What does God do to the king, king's enemies? He destroyed them, right? If you haven't bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, we've talked about this over and over again, but David is, is the Old Testament Messiah, the anointed one, but he's pointing us towards the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? The one who is eternal, the one who is reigning in heaven and will reign forever and ever and ever, and that's our King Jesus, right? David is pointing us towards Christ, David was wonderful and awesome in so many ways, but he was flawed and he failed. Jesus never fails. He's not flawed in the least bit. And if you've yet to bow your knee to Jesus in submission to Him and surrender to Him, saying, Jesus, I don't want to live my life. I want to live my life for You. I don't want to do what I want to do. I, want to, I don't want to please me. I want to please You. If you've yet to do that, if you've yet to repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own, if you've yet to submit to Him, the Bible teaches us that that the Lord Jesus will come back. He's coming back. He's going to return. He's going to gather the church to Himself and He's going to destroy the enemies of the King, King Jesus. The Bible says even now, if you've yet to repent, that you're an enemy of God. You're at enmity with Him. And what does God do to His enemies? He's gracious for a time, but there'll be one day where He'll pour out His wrath upon you for all eternity. And you'll be separated from this wonderful Savior forever and ever and ever. So by way of application, I want to encourage you, if you're a believer, give Him praise. God did it. Praise Him for what He's done in your life. If you're yet to surrender to the Lord, I want to encourage you to surrender to Him today. And you may be here and you don't know how to do that. You say, I, I can't say... What a mighty fortress is our God. I can't say that and mean it. I don't understand it. I can't say that God is my rock and He's my refuge. I can't say that I run to Him with my worries and struggles and hurts. I can't say that. I'm separated from Him. I don't know Him. That's foreign to me. I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to help you know what the Scripture says about repentance and placing your faith in Christ. I would love to talk to you about that. My number's in the worship guide. I'm here for you. I would love to direct you towards Jesus. And there's a lot of people in this room who can do the same thing. By way of application, let's praise the Lord. Let's be people of praise. And if you're lost, repent today. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we 
we come to difficult text and we think about David being righteous and that bothers us to some degree because we know he was not perfect. He was flawed. But we're thankful that Jesus is not flawed. And while he lived on earth, he was perfect in every way. And we're thankful that he, he lived for us, that we could have that perfect record. And because of Christ's work on the cross, so many of us have been justified by his work. Some say justification is justice I have never sinned just as if I had never sinned, but maybe even more rightly is just as I had, just as if I had obeyed. That's what happens because of what Christ has done for us. It's just like I obeyed in every, in every way, the Lord. And we're thankful for that. And there's a lot of people here, Father, in this room that can give you praise because of what you've done in their lives. Help us to be people that have praise on our lips for what you've done for us. But Father, for the ones here who are at enmity with you, separated from you, yet to repent. I pray, whether they're a child, a student, an adult, that you would draw them to yourself. You would grant them faith and repentance even today. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. May we read it, be empowered by it, even this week. We've got a lot of activities planned, Father, a lot of things going on in our church. And Lord, we want to be a church that pleases you. We want to be a people that loves sinners, lives righteously, that studies and submits to your word. Help us to do that this week. Father, for all those that are, that are out of town for the long weekend, there's a lot. We pray that you'd be gracious to them even as they travel back tomorrow. Give them travel mercies. Father, those that are battling the flu, Lord, we just pray for grace for them, that they would recover quickly. Father, thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, may we leave those that are a part of your church, rejoicing because we've been together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.